Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. So like I said, if you're just visiting, uh, each year we do a money series at this church at the beginning of the year, and we're at the tail end of that today. So we've entitled this Smart Money, and so far uh, we have covered how to keep our possessions in perspective. And then the week after that, we talked about how to have a healthy ambition. And if you were here last week, we talked about how to make the most of what we have. And today we're going to finish this up um, in this final message of this series. going to talk about experiencing the joy of generosity. Okay, that's where we're going this morning. And I think this message should be well received because uh, most of us in this place, deep down in our hearts, we want to be generous, don't we? I mean, everybody in this room, I think, wants to be generous. Nobody wants to be a Scrooge, right? I mean, we know that the words miser and miserable come from the same root. And we all admire people who are generous, I mean, we all dream of like winning the lottery, and, and we always promise the Lord that if that happens, Lord, I will give 90% away of, of what I win, right? Or whatever percent. You may say 99, but, but it's difficult to give out of what we have now because we need it so badly, right? And so while we want to be generous, we have to battle our sinful nature frequently, and we have to overcome years of selfish habits. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't, don't let a sermon series at church pressure you to do it. No, no, no. For God loves a person who gives how? Cheerfully, cheerfully. Now, King Solomon, we've been learning about him in the book of Proverbs during this series. He wrote a lot about generosity. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 25, he said, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so Proverbs clearly teaches that God wants his people to be generous And if we are, then he will reward us for that generosity. You know, this is just another way that you and I as Christians are to think and to act differently from the rest of the world. And Solomon's counsel helps us to answer some basic questions that I want to look at this morning about the nature of generosity. And so what I want to do is just simply answer three questions uh, this morning about the nature of generosity. And the first one is this, who should we give to? Who should we give to? I mean, if if we're going to be generous, who should be on the receiving end of our goodness? So let's, let's look at that real quick. The first one is this, we should give to our children. Our own children should be on the receiving end sometimes. In Proverbs 13, 22, it says that good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren even. But the sinner's wealth, it passes to the godly. Now, you and I have all seen uh, children inherit a huge chunk of money and waste it, haven't we? 
Or they spend a, you know, the rest of their life just kind of partying and they never ever grow up. And so it's not surprising that Solomon warns us about the amount that we leave our children. He says in Proverbs 20 verse 21, he says, An inheritance that is obtained too early in life, he says, that's not a blessing in the end. You know, I think one of the ways that we give an inheritance too early is that when we as parents cover the entire cost of our kids going to college. You know, I'm definitely not saying that we shouldn't help them out, but many parents will pay for their tuition, they'll pay for their books, they'll pay for meals, and then give them extra spending money as well. And the result is they often have too much free time, and many spend almost every day partying like the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance, and it says he wasted it in wild living. And you know, many parents thoughtlessly finance immorality and drunkenness and spiritual rebellion on the college campus, not even realizing it. That They do that because that's what all the other parents are doing, and they're afraid to be different than the world. Now, some of you college kids are like, would you shut up, okay? Just please, come on. Now listen, this next part's not in the Bible, but it should be, all right? I think it should be, but I think parents should pay for like half to three-fourths of their kids' college education. I do think that. And let them pay for the rest. They wouldn't have as much free time to get into trouble. Uh, They'll probably learn as much at the workplace as they do in the classroom. And they will appreciate that education a whole lot more because now they have something invested. Now, I look back at my own college education, and I had a baseball scholarship that paid for some. I worked every summer that paid for some, and those two together paid for about half. And then my mom had left me a life insurance money uh, that paid for the rest. But me having working every summer to help pay for that, I appreciate it more because I had something invested. Now, Listen, the best time to give money to our children is in their early married years. That's usually the time that parents can afford to give more because they're, they're reaching the, their peak earning period. And at the same time, it's about the time that our kids need it the most. One banker stated that 96% of first-time home buyers need financial assistance from their parents in order to complete that transaction. And guys, listen, if you wait until you die before you give anything to your children and then you just plan on dumping it all on them as an inheritance, chances are they're not going to need it as much then as they do now, okay? I mean, think about it. They may be like in their 40s or 50s by then and be like financially independent. And if they get nothing from you until you die, I mean, they may be secretly hoping that that you kick the bucket early, okay, so that, that, you know, they can have that money now, and you don't want that, all right? You definitely don't want that. So listen, here's what I'm telling my kids. I'm telling my kids this. Look, the little bit that we have, when we die, you'll get it, but the majority of what we have now goes to the church, and it's going to go to you while while we're still alive, all right, while we're still living, And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be praying like crazy that we stay healthy. Okay? They're not going to be wishing for us to kick the bucket early. I'll tell you that. But when we do that, 
we get to see them enjoy it. And your very presence will likely present some degree of accountability about how it's spent. Every year we take a, a family vacation to the beach down in Destin, Florida. And we take our kids, uh, we take their spouse or girlfriends. Abby's the only one who's married. So we take uh, her and Justin, the boys and their girlfriends, where they can go. And, and we'll take the grandkids too when that time comes. And right now, if everybody went, it'd be about 10 people. And we tell them, you know, while we're down here, we'll pay for food, we'll pay for ice cream, we'll pay for the resort, we'll get you a gift. Everything we do together as a family, but listen, if you want to go off and do something on your own, apart from the family, that's fine, it's not a problem, but you're paying for it, okay? It's amazing how close-knit of a family that we become during that week. <laughs> Nobody seems to go off and do anything on their own. It's amazing. We become tight. So you get to see them enjoy it, and it's a tax advantage as well. Did you know if you will your estate, chances are there's going to be a lot of estate taxes and lawyer fees, but you can give up to $18,000 a year in this year. I checked with H&R Block last week. $18,000 a year per child, per parent, with no tax penalties whatsoever to them while you're alive. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. And so our children ought to receive some of our generosity. Second one is this. We need to give to the people who serve us. The people who serve us ought to be the recipients of some of our generosity. And so when you eat out, be generous to those people who wait on tables. I've talked to waiters and waitresses who say this. They'll say, you know, sometimes you just hate on Sunday afternoons to see the church crowd come in because they don't tip very well. And then they sit at the table and they talk and talk and talk and, and they occupy the table so long that other people are waiting to come in, they can't find a seat. But you know, they ought to love to see us come in. They, they ought to hear our conversation as we're eating. And they know that we've been to church. And they know that we've been to this church. Be generous to them. It enhances our witness. We also give to those who are in need. We give to those who are in need. We should give generously to those who are truly in need. In Proverbs 14, 21, it says, blessed, blessed are those who help the poor. Proverbs 14, 31, those who oppress the poor, what does it say? They insult their maker, but helping the poor, well, that honors him. You know, several years ago, uh, when the boys were real little, they were probably like five and six years old, I don't remember exactly, but I took them and I took my dad, who was elderly at the time, to Cincinnati to watch the Dodgers and the Reds play. One of the things I love to get at Great American Ballpark is a big red smoky with peppers and onions. It, it, don't look at me like that, Addison. It is good, I promise you, okay? She's, she's like, ugh. Big red smoky with peppers and onions. It is delightful. It's, it's heavenly. I'll make them at Life Group for you someday, okay? 
It doesn't get much better in that, in my opinion, than sitting in a major league ballpark, watching the Dodgers, eating a big red Smokey. But I already had one. And it was like the seventh or eighth inning. And so, you know, I thought, I'm going I'm to get one for the road. I'm going to get one to take home with me. And so I did that. And on the way out, as we were leaving, walking back to the truck, there was this beggar there sitting there with a jar asking for money. And he's been a constant there for years. I see him every time we go. And I usually, just to be honest, I just walk on past. But my dad was walking in front of us, and he decided to stop and give him a couple of dollars. And so I thought, nah, here's a good teaching time. I need to talk to my boys here. You don't want to get caught up in this. But so I said this. I said, boys, listen, you don't want to give strangers cash because you're never really sure what they're going to use it for, you know, if they're going to use it for food or not. I said, they could be using it for drugs or alcohol or something like that. I said, it's better just to give them food, you know, or if you have like a gift certificate to a restaurant, something like that. And then one of the boys, I don't even remember which one, it's been so long, but they looked at me and they said, I know, Dad, you could give them that big hot dog you have in your bag. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, because he had me, he got me, because I didn't want to do that. I'd rather have given him the two bucks, okay? <laughs> Much rather, but I was stuck. So I gave it to him because there was too many people standing around not to watching me, all right? It wasn't a pure heart, I'll tell you that. But we do need to show discretion and not give to finance a person's bad habits or enable laziness. I get that. And the Bible says that if a man refuses to work, that he shouldn't eat. That's what the scriptures say. But Solomon also warns us that we're not really helping the poor when we co-sign for their loan. Look at it in Proverbs 22, verse 26. He said, don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or to put up security for someone else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. Guys, we're not really doing a person a favor if we co-sign for them, if they cannot afford to do it on their own. And it says we're putting our own resources at risk. Now, your children may be an exception here when they first get started. I understand that. You know, I've co-signed two loans for Abby for her car and for her schooling, but she's paid for it all on her own. But generally speaking, if we can't afford to give it, don't loan it. Don't co-sign for it, Solomon says. But the Bible does say that we are to give generously to those who are truly poor. Proverbs 19, 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to who? You're lending to the Lord. And what's he going to do? It says, and he will repay you. And then the last one I want to mention is this, is that we give to the church. We give to the church. One tangible way that we can give to the poor is to give to the church. You know, our church has given to help those in need multiple times over the years. We have helped those who have lost loved ones. We have helped those who, who needed housing assistance. We have paid water, electric, and tax bills for those who truly needed help at that time. We have bought Christmas presents for families when we knew that they had nothing to give. I mean, one Christmas, uh, one year Christmas fell on a Sunday, remember that? And, and we gave every family here $100, okay? We spent $3,500 total, gave each family $100 to go out and use it to help families who were in need. 
Okay, And so our church has been very, very generous over the years. People open up their, their homes each week for life groups, showing hospitality and cooking meals. I mean, all of that costs money. Every time you give here, know that 10% of our budget goes to help missionaries who are spreading the good news in some very, very poor places. And I think that you ought to give to the church first. You know, the Bible speaks of tithes and offerings. That word tithe there literally means tenth. That's what it means. And so we give our first 10% back to God. An offering is anything that we give above and beyond that 10%. And there are a number of worthy Christian causes that could use our support. But I think our tithes should go to the church, and then our offering can be used however we'd like. Look at it in Matthew 3, or I'm sorry, Malachi 3, and verse 10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. Listen to this. I'll open the windows of heaven for you. If you do this, he says, I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't even have enough room to take it in. This is not me. This is God talking. Try it, he says. Put me to the test. And so the Jewish people were told to bring the tithe to the temple when it was used to help the poor and to pay the salary of the priests. And in the New Testament, we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, that there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need, it says. Guys, they didn't just give it directly to the poor, no. It says they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had in need. You see, what happens when we do that is it takes our ego out of it. When our church gives we don't get the individual credit, do we, if it comes from Three Strands Church. We don't get to take credit for what's been given, and that's a good thing. And it also takes advantage of the combined wisdom of church leaders. I'm always surprised at how naive some Christians can be. Many people will donate lots and lots of money to like TV preachers or to organizations simply because they have skillful marketing campaigns. And they make these emotional appeals and people just throw money at them and their cause without really knowing that sometimes the vast majority of that money is going back into advertising or to pay for these huge salaries for some of the people on staff. And very little of it goes to its intended destination. Guys, when you give to the local church, you can see tangible results. You can see people being one to Jesus and getting baptized. You see people studying the Bible and growing in their knowledge of the Word. You can see people's lives being changed, marriages healed and being put back together again, and the difference it's making in the lives of college students and teenagers and children. You can read the newsletters of any of our missionaries and you can see the results of our missions giving. You can see the vision of our church for the future. Now, 
we have intentionally at this church tried to be as financially ethical, responsible, and transparent as we can be as a church. And we love 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 20, where it says that we are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way that we're handling this generous gift. We're careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone else to see that we're honorable. You can know where every penny at this church is being spent, every penny of it. We want to be honorable, okay? The second question we want to answer this morning is this. Why? Why should we give? Okay, so why should we give? The first one is this. You and I give as an act of worship. If you're a Christian, we give as an act of worship. Look at it in Psalm chapter 96, verse 8. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in his holy splendor. You know, guys, we usually think of worship as like singing songs and praying and and taking communion and listening to sermons, don't we? But when we give money, that is a very tangible expression of worship. In fact, the first time that worship is ever mentioned in the Bible, it has to do with Abraham going up Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac. Remember that? And he said to his servants, uh, Abraham did, we will worship and come back to you, he said. We're, we're going up. I'm going up to sacrifice my son. He says, we're going to worship and then we'll come back. He wasn't going up that mountain to sing any songs. He, he, he wasn't going up there to take communion. He was going up that mountain to sacrifice what was most precious to him, and he called that worship. Guys, when we bring a sacrificial gift to God, and we place it back there in the offering box, or if you do it online, however you do it, that is worship. It is. We're showing our devotion to him. We are pledging our allegiance to him, and we are giving ourselves to him. Second reason is this. We, we give, be, or why? We give because it keeps our focus off of materialism and puts it back onto spiritual things. Look at it in 1 John 2.15. It says, don't love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And then in verse 17, it says, And this world, it's fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You remember Jesus told that materialistic rich young ruler in Luke 18, 22? He said, Sell all of your possessions and then give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me, he said. In other words, he was telling him, get your focus off of the temporary things, and get your focus onto the things that are going to last forever. Let's say that you could get in a time machine, and you went back to 1863. You land in Savannah, Georgia, and you find a forefather of yours that has $3 million in Confederate money in his home, okay? $3 million in Confederate money. Well, he thinks he's rich. But you know that if he doesn't make some changes, 
that he's going to be broke, right? So what do you tell him? You tell him you better exchange your Confederate money for gold or even for union currency. But you better exchange it because why? It's not going to last. It's not going to last. Revelation 3.17 says this. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Guys, these things are going to pass away, Jesus said. So he said, exchange these things for that which is eternal. Guys, when we give, we lay up treasure in heaven. Every time we give, we're reminding ourselves, this world's not my home. I'm storing up treasure in heaven. Third reason is this. We give to express compassion. We give to express compassion. You know, if you love your children, it's a joy to give to them, isn't it? If you love this church, it's a joy to give to this church. And you know, I hate writing checks. I only write two checks nowadays. One's to the gas company and the other one's to this church. Okay? The only reason I write checks to this church, because when you pay online, it takes a little chunk out to pay for a fee. But uh, I used to do that too. But, but anyway, that's the two checks I write. And I don't like writing that check to the gas company each month. But I do enjoy giving to this church. It's a joy for me because I love this place so much. And if you care for the lost or if you care for the needy, you just have to give. 1 John 3.17 tells us that if someone has enough money to live well and they see a brother or sister in need and shows no compassion, it says, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. I like the way I think it's the message paraphrases that verse. It says, let's not merely say we love one another. Let's really love them. Let's really do it. You know, it's been said that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. The last one I want to share is that we give to experience God's blessing. Like, what? Yeah, we give to experience God's blessing. Now, we shy away from this motivation because it seems selfish. But the Lord makes it very clear in his word that if we give to him, that he will multiply that gift in return. Okay, you don't take my word for it. Proverbs 3 and uh, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Well, what happens when we do that? Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Proverbs 22, 9. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Dr. Carl Menninger, who was at the Mayo Clinic years ago, he wrote this. He said, giving is a good criterion for mental health. He said, generous people are rarely mentally ill. That's what he wrote. But you know what, guys? When you give God's blessing on you, it may be contentment. God's blessing on you may be emotional stability. 
It may be spiritual growth. Maybe it's family unity, financial prosperity, or eternal hope. But he promises if we give, that he will give more in return than we give him. In fact, listen, it's the only time in the Bible, the only time where God says, test me. He says, I'm going to give you a chance here. You give me a chance. Test me. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. And he says, I'll prove it to you. Just put me to the test. God says, I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll give you a blessing so great you can't receive it. It's what he said. And so, guys, the truth is, you've heard it, right? We really do reap what we sow. We really do. I've seen this time and time and time again in my life. It happened to us last week. It happened to us last week. Heather and I saw this. We paid off our last debt other than our house the last month. And so we gave a little extra to the church out of our tax return. And last week we found out out of the blue. She said, I just want you to know that raise that that, that doctor put in a year ago, it went through. And she got a significant raise. And I was like, good night. Thank you, Lord. You can't outgive God. You just can't outgive him. He will give back more than we give him. Last question is this. How much should we give? Okay, who should we give to? Why should we give? And the last one is how much should we give? Well, Proverbs promises to bless the generous, but it doesn't really define generosity. That's a question each one of us has to answer for ourselves. And so 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, as we read earlier, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now listen, I don't know what any single person gives in this church, but we do have software that tracks giving, and it gives us a report each month. But it does seem that people who give here grow in their giving the longer they're here, and that's encouraging. It's also encouraging that each year when we do this money series, at the beginning of the year, giving goes up every year, okay? Because it means people are putting into practice what they are learning from the scriptures. That's encouraging. We always want to apply the Bible regardless of what the topic is. The only discouraging part is many times that giving seems to go down after our money series is over. It's like people don't really make a commitment many times to tithe. And so Brad Green has the, the answer to that. He said, what we need to do is just teach a 40-week money series for 40 weeks. Okay? It's like, we're not doing that, Brad. Okay? We're not doing it. Now, keep in mind this, that God's economy, in, some, in God's economy, some people who give just a small amount actually give more because of the sacrifice that they make. Okay? They don't have very much to give. And you remember what Jesus said about the widow who gave those two small coins? She said that she gave the most because she gave all she had, 100%. But another somewhat discouraging thing is that 17% of Three Strands Church members account for 40% of the financial load. And we only have about 39% of our church members who tithe. And to be honest, guys, that's the reason that we don't have a building. You know, just being honest. Now listen, I know that these stats reveal just what people give to the local church and not what they give overall. Some people give to other places. I get that. 
And I know that this church, listen, is above average for percentage of members who tithe. Most churches are not even at 39%. So, so I'm not beating us down. But you know what? We have committed ourselves here to try to be excellent in every area. And we shouldn't be satisfied with a B minus. We shouldn't. We compare to other churches like, man, B minus, we're doing pretty good. They're a D minus. Let's not compare. We don't need to be satisfied with a B minus here in stewardship. And I feel like we've done a pretty decent job of communicating over the years what God's standard of generosity is. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. It says, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, He says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving, Paul says. Now listen, I'm not trying to make you think we're in any kind of financial pinch here because we're not. But we could do so much more. We could do so much more. Think about if everybody tithed. Dave Ramsey once spoke about how different America would be if every Christian in America tithed. He said that there would be no more welfare in North America. He said in 90 days, there would be no more church or hospital debt. And then in the next 90 days, he says the entire world could be evangelized. And there would be prayer again in schools because Christians would buy up all the schools. I heard about a a plane that crashed on a remote, deserted, uncharted island. And the survivors, man, they, they were really concerned that they were never going to be found. They were distraught. They, they said, nobody's ever going to find us here. But there was this one guy who was sitting on the beach, and he was just over there enjoying the, the sand and the sun and, and just content as he could be. And so they, they went up to him. And they said, listen, aren't you worried that we're never, ever going to be found here? And he just very calmly said, no. He said, I tithe to my church. I know my preacher will find me. Trust me. If you tithe, Dave will find you. Okay? I want to challenge those of you who are church members here. And the 15 to 20 others of you who should be by now. I want to challenge you to make a commitment to giving this year. Listen, we have had nine new people uh, begin giving since the start of this series. And we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for your obedience to God. But listen, I'm not talking about an amount. I'm talking about a percent. How much of your income that God has blessed you with are you willing, listen, to leverage for eternity? How much? I mean, he just asked for $1 out of every 10 that he gives us as an act of obedience for him being our Lord. And so would you just seriously consider giving a tithe to the Lord, just being obedient in the area of your finances like you are in so many other areas of your life. But listen, nobody's going to check up on you, okay? We're we're not going to come after you and ask. This is just between you and him. But every $10 God gives us, he just asks for one back. That doesn't seem like much. The problem happens, you know, the problem that we have is when we begin to calculate amount more than percent. You know, when God blesses us financially and we make more money, we start making more money, and then we begin to calculate 10% of that, our eyes sometimes get real big. 
right? And we hesitate to give that amount. It's kind of like that wealthy businessman who became a Christian. He becomes a member of the local church, and he heard a message on tithing, and he wanted to be obedient, and so he went home and he calculated 10% of his income. And he was blown away at the amount of money that he would be giving away. And so he asked the guy who led him to the Lord, he says, I need you to pray for me. He says, I just don't know if I can give that much money away. And so his friend said, sure, I'll pray for you. Let's pray. He said, dear Lord, help my friend here to make less money so he can afford to give. (laughs) And the guy was like, no, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. You don't have to pray that. Okay, I get it. I get it. It's about a percent, not an amount necessarily. You know, years ago, I filled in for a friend who was uh, preaching at a church in Stanford, and he got sick the night before, and and he gave them my name. And so uh, they called me, and I told them I would do it. And on the drive up, I thought, you know what, I I bet they were going to give him a a love offering. I I bet they're probably going to give him like $50 or something. And so if they do, if they give that to me, I'm going to give him half. I'm going to give him $25. Preached two services that Sunday morning, and after I was done, they gave me a check for $300. $300. And you know what I was thinking on the way home? I was thinking, $150, that's a lot for doing nothing. You know? I started looking at the amount rather than the percent. And guys, the more we're blessed with, the more that we have a tendency to do that. In the Old Testament, God said 10%. In the New Testament, he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. But the standard that God set was 10%. So we at least try to do that. And anything above that, above our tithe, is considered an offering. You know, I remember contemporary Christian singer Rich Mullins back in the 90s. He got, he got killed in an automobile accident, a Jeep accident. But before then, I just remember uh, he was like my favorite Christian singer back then. But he enjoyed a very successful career. But then when you look at him, he didn't look like he was very successful, like wealthy. He wore jean shorts, jorts, and a white T-shirt to his concerts even, you know. And I love this. He told his manager this. He told his manager that he didn't want to know the amount of money that he made. He never knew how much he made. He just said, give me what the average American makes, and then I want you to give away the rest to the poor so I don't get greedy. That's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I read of an older guy who did everything meticulously. And when he would write his checks, because each week he would sit down and he would write out his tithe check, in the blank space on the bottom of the check there in the bottom left where it said memo, he would just simply write, for our Lord. For our Lord. And guys, if you make a commitment today, you sit in there and you're like, I know what the scriptures say. It's not about what he's saying. It's what the scriptures are saying. I want to make a commitment. If you do that this morning, would you please just do it for our Lord. He has been so generous to us. I just want to close by saying this. The main expression of his generosity toward you and I is by him giving his son Jesus to die in our place, to forgive us of our sins so that we can be free of both the penalty 
and the power of sin in our lives. And that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. Think about that. Who, listen, would rather die for you than to live without you. You ever thought about that? He would rather die for us than to live without us. And guys, the good news is very simple. Romans 3.23 says this, For everybody in this room has sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23, The wages, the cost of that sin is death. We all deserve to die. But, thank God there's a but there. But, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 10, 9, that if you would just openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and you would believe in your heart that what God raised him from the dead, you not maybe, could be, someday could, no, no, no. You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. Don't we want to be made right with God? And it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. And that's why I always say, go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. It's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Are you willing to do that this morning? If you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, are you willing to just openly declare that Jesus is your Lord, the boss of your life, and believe in your heart so that you can be made right with God? If so, please don't put it off. Would you do that today as we stand and sing this last song together? Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.